Welcome to Have You Seen This, the podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten cinema. All discussions will be spoiler heavy. You have been warned. Once again, our resident artist, author, Gadfly. Bon vivant, man about town. Would you say that today is Silver Stoat Day? I think every day is Silver Stoat Day. (laughs) So we got a live one for you today. Um, The reason that I started this podcast is because I was sick of hearing about the same movies. I think there's so much that's been said about movies like Batman and Robin and The Room and stuff like that, that I really wanted to get more into the truly weird aspects of cinema. So I wanted to find some things that were really off the beaten path. And I think that maybe this kind of backfired on me today. (laughs) Um, I found a movie on YouTube called Vile Pervert. Um, (laughs) How did you find this movie? Let me back up a little bit. Vile Pervert was made by a man called Jonathan King. Uh, He's a self-made musical impresario. Uh, He's been in the music industry in Britain since the 60s. He discovered bands like 10CC, the Bay City Rollers, and one of my favorites, uh, Peter Gabriel-era Genesis. Um, He also wrote dozens and dozens of hit records, um, made a lot under pseudonyms and under his own name, um, songs like... Everyone's Gone to the Moon and uh, Hooked on a Feeling. He did the original version, which added the Uga Chaka chant. Uh, so he's been around for a while, and he came back to the news in the 2000s when he was arrested on charges of sexual assault. Uh, these assaults supposedly dated back to the 1980s. These were supposedly assaults on teenage boys. And he was convicted... Uh, was supposed to go up for seven years, only served three and a half years of his sentence, and once he got out, has basically dedicated his life to trying to set the record straight. Well, he's got a lot to say about this. He sure and... does. He's got a lot to say about everything. Yeah, and and because he is a man in the music business, uh, he figured the best way to set the record straight was to write, direct, produce... And star in a movie, um, I guess it's a fictionalized autobiographical piece about his experience in the British legal system. And it's called Vile Pervert, the Musical. Yes, and it is... Because it's also a musical. Yes, and it is freely available for viewing on YouTube. Um, don't watch this one. <laughs> it's... I... It's... <laughs> I found it kind of tedious to sit through. Um, Mike, you seem, you kind of liked it, didn't you? I, I I'm I'm probably you know what I'm probably gonna get a, a lot of flack from this, but I actually did like it. I enjoyed <laughs> it quite a bit. <laughs> I found it highly entertaining. It does um, it does kind of dovetail with your interest in outsider art. Yeah, um, because I, as I, much it, as this guy has been a music business fixture since the 60s i don't think he learned anything about filmmaking no it's it's complete i would say outsider art it's uh but it's fascinating because since he pretty much did everything it's a true auteur piece that's a really good point (laughs) it's a a real personal vision reflected here and um as a film it it's bizarre um he's he's it, it seems, okay, so the basic plot is Jonathan King explaining how he got, um, how he fucked a lot of teenagers back in the day. and Which everybody uh, was re- doing at the time. Everyone was doing at the time. Um, and then well, actually recently... with him it's more like, well, everybody was doing at the time except I didn't do it because I wasn't actually there and all these kids were lying anyway, and anyway, it's not wrong to have sex with teenage boys. So there. 
So he, so basically, it's like, I wasn't fucking teenage boys, except when I was, and if I was, which I was, it was okay. Because they consented. Yeah. So there's a, <laughs> so that's his story, so to speak. Um, he, he presents it, uh, he basically acts it out. He plays every part in the movie, because at certain parts he plays other people. Like, um, he's himself narrating. Oh, I'm sorry, no, no. The movie is narrated by God. That's right. He plays yeah. God, by the way. He plays God. Uh, he also plays himself, so some parts are narrated by himself. And other parts, he has people who were, um, who were involved in his trial, or pre-trial and post-trial and all that stuff. He acts as them, too. So he also plays the judge. He plays several lo different lawyers. He plays the evil um, PR agent who set him up and faked everything to get money out of him. And he also plays several of the accusers. And he plays the tabloid, uh, the woman who do runs the tabloid that slandered him, uh, in his opinion. Do you, do you know who that was an analog for? I have no clue. I... Um, it's apparently it's some tabloid that he wrote a a column in, though he says. Yeah, because so. he he himself um, wrote columns for at least one column for what he describes as the Red Tops or kind of the British tabloid newspapers. Mm -hmm. um, so the owner of the tabloid is you know in the in the grand tradition of Monty Python uh, caricature is basically him just like in this long red wig with like grotesque makeup and like a pepper pot voice. Yeah. Um, he also plays, because one of the people who accused him, he, he also plays the accuser's wife, basically also doing kind of a Monty Python pepper pot thing. Yeah. Um, which actually, because uh, when I was watching the movie, I was getting the impression that he was a guy who had grown up on that very classic style of British comedy, mm -hmm. like kind of Monty Python, The Goon Show, stuff like that. And he was trying to recre recreate it. Um, I wouldn't say, you know, like things like the, the pepper pots and also... When the one part where he plays a cop, and it's that very British cop, you can always see Graham Chapman playing that part. He's <laughs> like, oh, I'm an important cop, and by the way, if we pull the camera out, I'm not wearing pants! Whoa! You know, like that. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's cool. this grand tradition, like, the, the British have spent years uh, depicting barristers and cops and stuff wearing lingerie under their robes and uniforms, but it doesn't seem to have had any effect on the system. Well, tell us how the movie opens. For one thing. So the movie opens with uh, Jonathan King walking around in a park in a large trench coat. And then he turns to the camera and he opens his trench coat and he's naked. But his genitals are blurred out. And it says, then it flashes to Violet Pervert, the musical. And then we go directly to the first musical number because it's a musical and he does uh, all the music in this. And it's really catchy. Like, <laughs> I, I have been listening to No Pervert, like, on loop for days now. You can see why this guy was such a such a big wheel in the music industry, because almost every song in this is toe-tapping. Um, <laughs> the, the Silver Stoat song, which is uh, the, the song about the evil PR guy who railroaded uh, poor Jonathan King uh, and slandered him and all that, is uh, uh, just great. Um, I I love that song. The animation in it is is interesting because it's that that he got someone to animate this song, so it's like a like a cartoon music video. Well, yeah, and it's because like, I I was watching that number started and I was like, what the? This isn't even Flash. Like, what is this? No. I can't it's, even it's identify like, how that was animated. It's so crude. It looks like a '90s era animation. <laughs> Like you expect, oh, what is it? Colin Mochran's head to fly in at any moment. It's it's really old school. Um, yeah, and then there are references to Max Headroom and Mr. Spock. Yeah, it's well, you know Jonathan King is old, and he probably thought these very topical things that would you know gel with today's youth. Since he does like to fuck teenage boys so much, maybe this movie had a secondary purpose to like you know recruit some new uh, some new Talent. blood. New talent, thank you. Yeah, maybe he plied them with Star Trek DVDs. I don't know. <laughs> oh, he's like, you kids love the Star Trek, right? Um, but yeah, so so I really enjoyed the music in this. Um, yeah, I have to say that the music the music actually is pretty good. Um, yeah, some of it is a little uh, 
Some of it is a little silly, and you can... Y y there's real evidence of his past as kind of a pop producer. Um, when he discovered Genesis back when they were still at school, um, they were kind of still trying to find their way a little bit musically. And at one point they wrote a song in the style that they thought he would like, which was kind of like uh, the Bee Gees, like as they were at the time, the late 60s Bee Gees. But then when they started writing more progressive type of songs that went on longer, he lost interest. Hmm. And, you know, they kind of went on to do their own thing. So I think that his heart has always been more with, like, the pop industry. Yeah. It's very, like, you listen to this and it feels very, it's it's very 1960s kind of skiffle pop sort of things. There's um, that song that um, the blonde girl sings, because for uh, the song choice in this thing, like, there are songs which relate to the topic at hand, and then there are other songs uh, created by his prodigies, or that he wrote for his prodigies, and are performed by them that don't really fit the narrative, but he stuck them in anyway, I guess because he wanted to promote his finds. And there's this one song sung by a blonde girl about that has, like, all this weird Alice in Wonderland imagery, and it feel it really feels like a 60s pop throwback. Yeah, yeah. I think um, my favorite one of those is uh, Johnny Reggae. <laughs> Oh God! What the what the fuck was that? I again, it didn't really have anything to. Well, it's interesting because they set it up where one of um, one of Jonathan King's accusers is talking to his wife, and both played by Jonathan King. Uh, amazing camera tricks. It's like it's like the Star Trek where Spock has the beard, right? Um, <laughs> but they have uh, John and and the wife is saying like. Oh, you met Jonathan King? Oh, he's not famous. And uh, the kid says, yes, he was. He did that big hit, Johnny Reggae. And then they play the song Johnny Reggae. I don't think that's an actual song that Jonathan King played at any point or was actually a hit for him. I think it's like a song just for these prodigies. I would be tempted to say I strenuously doubt that that song is a hit, but if you take a look at the British pop charts at any point in history... Like, I could, I could see the British public buying that, because they have really terrible tastes in novelty songs. That's, it does sound a lot like an Ivor Biggin song, so yeah, it's pretty terrible. Yeah, or like any of the songs that come out around the time of a big, like, soccer tournament. You know, it's like, oh, yeah! Meat pie, sausage roll. Come on, England, get us the goal! <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, so, but, what was I talking about? So Johnny Reggae is, it's just... I, I I like it. It's a catchy song. I don't know what it has to do with anything in this movie. I'm I'm completely unsurprised that you like all these songs, Mike. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, <laughs> but the more interesting, I think, is just when I watch this movie. Now, I didn't know anything about Jonathan King. I didn't even know the guy, his name before this. When I looked him up, I was like, oh, he did Una Paloma Blanca. Okay. But otherwise, I didn't have any knowledge of him. So I went into this pretty blind. And I watched the movie, and uh, so with no knowledge of anything outside of Jonathan King's version of events, I think he acquits himself fairly well in this movie, despite being obviously bonkers. <laughs> well, that's the thing, and this is one of the things that uh, frustrated me about watching this, is that the whole movie is him presenting his case... You know, and he and the really uncomfortable thing about watching it is that it's that stopped clock thing. You know, when he's yeah. saying things like the British press are just terrible, they're garbage. You're like, well, he's not wrong. Yeah. Like the British press really is something to behold. Like they really have like no scruples whatsoever. I mean, you just have to look at the recent um, telephone hacking scandal. You know. With Rupert Murdoch and everything and it's that is just a tradition that goes back like years and years you know they yeah they're they're awful or his point that um part of the reason that he was probably prosecuted for these things was due to homophobia yeah yeah I thought that was a really interesting point and when he brought it up at first I was like yeah whatever but then I thought on it's like he's probably right actually you know, um, in the sense that, yeah, okay, there is a grand tradition of, like, musical Svengali's fucking naive, underage, you know, um, 
kids coming in off the turnip truck hoping to make it big and why is it that he's the one who gets prosecuted as opposed to every single other one who does it so he's got a point that it seems like homophobia probably was a factor in this yeah on the other hand he does say that he thinks that both jimmy savile and harold shipman were innocent so Uh, yeah (laughs) i think we should talk a little about this harold shipman bit because yeah, like that Jimmy, was... like well, number one, like Jimmy Savile, like that's that's insane. Like uh, it's hard, it's hard to find a better example of like a more like monstrous, predatory person than the late unlamented Jimmy Savile. But uh, Mike, tell us who Harold Shipman is. Well, well, I thought okay. So when I was listening, there's a song in the movie called "The Probably True Story of Harold Shipman," and when I first heard it, I was like, again, like yeah, this is pretty catchy. Yeah, I like this music. Yeah. And I just assumed Harold Shipman was a fictional name that he had made up, like kind of doing a, like, oh, Charlie on the MTA, you know, I'm making something up to make a point here about some fake guy whose life was ruined by the British tabloids. Then I actually watched the, the video because first time I watched it, I was distracted. And I noticed, hey, he's showing a lot of photos of the same guy. I guess Harold Shipman must be a real person. <laughs> so I looked him up. And um, I did not know anything about him before this. I'm Jen. You're you're the true crime expert, so you knew I think more than I did. Yeah, but, I'm the I'm the true crime maven here. <laughs> yeah, but it's funny because Harold Shipman is was a British doctor who killed his patients, and apparently uh, is literally the most prolific serial killer of all time. Yes, uh, he murdered. He went down for murdering, I think, 15 patients, but a later inquiry. Um, found evidence that he probably murdered close to 200. Yeah. Uh, he never spoke about his motives, but I believe it was at least partially for uh, financial gain. Um, but yeah. who knows if he was also, you know, an angel of death type killer who just kind of like got up. Bas- basically, he killed um, vulnerable elderly people who were in his care. Yeah. And as so often happens with angel of death killers, their body count can be quite high. You know, just because of the environment that they're working within. You know, they have access to vulnerable people. They have access to drugs. They have plausible deniability. Because if, like, well, an old lady dies, like, you know, she was sick. She was in the hospital anyway. That kind of thing. But Jonathan King's thesis seems to be that, um, you know, man, that the press is really hard on poor Harold Shipman. And I'm like, is this the hill that you want to die on, bro? Yeah. Well, it's especially funny because if you listen to the lyrics... His thesis is that Harold Shipman was basically like Dr. Kevorkian, you know, like like these were poor these were people who were in pain, they wanted to die. Harold Shipman was these were mercy killings, which like you said Harold Shipman never discussed his motive at all. So yeah. we don't know he never made that claim, which would you would think would be the thing, first thing he'd say when he got caught. And secondly, when you actually look it up, most of the, half at least half the people he killed were actually in good health. Yeah. And I think some of them were like as young as their 40s. So um, it's actually not clear at all. In fact, it seems pretty, pretty apparent that he was not a mercy killer and just really liked killing, you know, yeah. for a lark. And, um, and again, like this movie really rides this uncomfortable line between like truth and you know, kind of the use of truth for, like, like uglier ends, where it's like, yes, I'm sure that the British press sensationalized a lot of the coverage around the Shipman case. That doesn't mean the guy wasn't guilty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, apparently uh, Jonathan King is one of those people, though, who, this was my experience, or that's what, he's like, this is my experience, and therefore everyone else has the same experience. So, yeah, it's like, that doesn't mean just because, yeah, you might have, you know, had the British press um, say a few things that weren't true or you thought were not true or, or thought were unfair doesn't necessarily mean that they're wrong in every single instance. There's also another problem with his argument, which is that uh, there's a song early on in the movie. Oh, God. And <laughs> I, I like. I'm probably going to have to put a fucking trigger warning on this episode because of (laughs) songs like this. Like, there's a song early on called Professional Victims. Fucking SJWs. Yeah, which advances the notion that people advance false 
rape accusations because it's such a lucrative practice. You know, if you really want to get, like, money and fame and sympathy, just accuse someone of rape. Um, yeah! <laughs> so, uh, and the visuals for the song is, uh, it looks like he spent a lot of time making a scrapbook of articles in the British press about uh, rape trials and rape accusations, some of which were supposedly later revealed to be false. So I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, okay, so the British press is terrible and they're a bunch of liars unless they're printing stories about false rape accusations, then they're 100% trustworthy to the point where you can use them as evidence in your film. Are, are you saying Jonathan King might might not be an unbiased source? Well, you know, um, he has he has a point of view, just like you know, <laughs> any 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 one of us. And his point of view is that of someone who, in the more quote unquote free love anything goes environment of the '60s and '70s, may have gone to bed with a few people who were not poss possibly not of age or able to properly consent. Yeah. But, you know, water under the bridge, so... Eh, well, you know, he, it, was, it was the style of the time. Also, he keeps saying that uh, in the British court system, like, you literally don't have to have evidence of anything. You can just... It's just, oh, it's just your word against his. Which, um, I know you're not an expert in the in uh, United Kingdom justice, but is I don't know if that's strictly true. That you can um, just go to court and say, this guy did this, so convict him. My my knowledge of the British justice system comes entirely from that one scene in Harry Potter where he goes in front of the wizen gamut. But I'm pretty sure <laughs> that was, that was like, gone from life. Pretty sure that was pretty accurate. Yeah, it pretty much hews exactly to, uh, to British law. Yeah, well, um, I totally watched a bunch of UK Law and Order once, so, like, <laughs> I, I consider myself pretty knowledgeable. And my parents, like, watch a lot of those, like, detective shows on masterpiece theater oh yeah so, i'm not coming into this completely ignorant <laughs> I, I i do know they wear wigs that's a big thing yes he does he does wear comical wigs as the judge yeah. it just it makes me think of the the judge from pink floyd the wall who's just like a big old taint and ball sack oh yeah it's pretty much the same part pretty uh, much yeah also though if you're a british judge um I, I I think part of what he part of what he's saying is if you at some point got a blowjob from the defendant, you should probably recuse yourself. I think that's one of the things he says because at some okay because at one point they completely out of it's just so bizarre. He claims like he was in court, I guess, and the judge that tried him back in the sixties he'd given him a hand job or something. <laughs> Except he's forgotten until later on when the judge dies, and then he reads his obituary and he's like, "Oh yeah, I gave that judge a hand job." So he he didn't remember that when he was in court with that judge, but he remembered it reading guy's obituary. Yes. Now, you know, <laughs> I, I will say one of the recurring themes throughout the movie is Jonathan King claiming, like, "How can I be expected to remember minor incidents in my?" prosaic love life from back in the 1960s when I was apparently fucking everything on two legs. <laughs> but then he does apparently remember this one judge. Well, and this is something else which is, uh, which has been brought up in, shall we say, better examples of media, such as uh, the podcast Serial, where they spend a lot of time picking apart the supposed recollections of a lot of the witnesses. And you know, I think in the first episode, they start off asking the question, like, do you remember exactly where you were on this exact date in 1999? And of course, like, you know, how many of us do? And again, riding that line of, you know, the, the correct and the uncomfortable, where, you know, memory certainly is a very pliable and unreliable thing, which can be fraught when you're dealing with matters of justice. In fact, and there have been some really horrible miscarriages of justice uh, involving, you know, allegations of abuse. I mean, you only have to look at the uh, the McMartin uh, preschool trial um, and all those other satanic panic cases in the U.S. in the 1980s, um, where a lot of a lot of innocent innocent people went to prison. You know, so that's kind of on your mind watching this, but 
I don't know. I don't know, Mike. Am I just am I am I just biased? <laughs> you know what? You seem to have a real problem with baby rapers. <laughs> I think I think the real issue is you. Yeah. I maybe you right. need maybe you need to stop being so prejudiced. Well, on the flip side, I know that the reason that you love this movie is because you're a total child rape apologist. So there. Well, no, I'm not. Excuse me, child rape. Not apologist. I just love good music. Yeah, I just like good music. No, um, well, no. I mean, I think, um, yeah, like, okay. Whenever you discuss things like this, it's important, of course, firsthand to have like, like literally what a half an hour of disclaimers about like, of course, raping babies is bad. We're not saying that it's good. We think it's terrible too. And then you have to get into the. However, let's let's. Actually, you know, let's discuss this. But yeah, well, it is interesting to listen to it because on the one hand, he, yeah, he fucked a lot of under eight, like, I think he says 15, 16 year old boys. And on the one hand, yeah, in the, in the free love um, era of the 60s, that was a little, I think people kind of looked at that with a little more, uh, well, pe- people accepted that a little more than they do today. Well, this is this is the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this is the thing because uh, one of the factual things that he points out in the film is that in Britain, homosexuality was compl- was illegal until 1967. I think the caveat was that um, two two guys could do it if they were of consenting age, and I guess the sticking point was that uh, you know, so one of the partners was not of the age of consent. Um, and probably at the time, you know, if anybody, if anybody were gay, you know, they might have been like out to people that they knew. And I think he mentions that, you know, he was, uh, quote unquote, out as bisexual to like most of his friends. And, you know, that was accepted in those circles. But, you know, the larger public certainly didn't ever talk about it, except like in a really prurient or, or judgmental way. So... I'm sure that, you know, anything that happened at the time was, like, really pretty much, like, on the down low. Today we're a little more conscious of, you know, how, you know, even even if you, the, there's a reason we have laws for, of consent, like, age of consent laws these days, because we realize now that even though when you're 16, yeah, you're, you're you know, you're, your brain is still forming, and no matter any relationship that you're in, any sexual relationship you might be in with an older person, there's always going to be that, that power dynamic that, you know, you'll never really know if it's actual consent or, or not. So, so there are reasons why we don't really accept this sort of thing anymore. Yeah. Uh, now he cla- now he claims it's unfair to hold his actions and the standards of today. And I mean, uh, that's kind of a thorny issue too, because it's like, well, I guess he's acting according to the style of the day. Is it is it, you know, wrong to hold him accountable? Uh, maybe, but he also fucked a lot of kids, so maybe not. Well, yeah, because I don't think at the time that I mean, and surely there would be a lot of a great deal of homophobia, maybe obscuring the issue at the time. You know, one of the one of the. Um... The parallels that he draws is the trial of Oscar Wilde to the point where he does a whole number dressed up as Oscar Wilde. And it's a whole number oh, yeah. about how it's not a bit... How does it go? It's okay to... No, it's... There's nothing, there's wrong, nothing wrong with buggering boys. boys. Yes. Now, the caveat there being, and he says it in the song, if they're able to consent. Yes. Um, and again, uh, you know, if we're talking about boys in the sense of a uh, young man of consenting age. Again, he's not wrong. <laughs> yeah. You know, what, you know what's boys. really annoying about the Oscar Wilde trials? What? Is, I don't know. Is it Oscar Wilde dropping those, those bond moths constantly? Like a fucking little asshole. And I'm like, oh, I'm Oscar Wilde. Let me say something really droll. Oh, I hate that shit. <laughs> the only thing worse than... Being talked about is not being talked about. You can quote that one, boys. Oh, oh, bring me a butcher boy. Oh, it's so hot when they have, like, beef blood all over their smocks. <laughs> he was into that, wasn't he? Well, uh, remind me to be a little more careful about mentioning Oscar Wilde around you, Mike. 
Anyway, he, sorry. What is? He seems what? to be a sore spot with you. No, but um, <laughs> because I I started I started doing some research for this show, and you know he there's the whole Oscar Wilde connection. So I started googling around, and again, being the the crime hound that I am, I was like, oh, like apparently the trial transcripts um, for the Oscar Wilde trial have been censored. Oh, you know, because uh, there are a lot of like, oh, the witness described a scatological and indecent act or something like that. You know, they don't they don't tell you exactly what happened. So it's like, oh, well, you know, they must have the transcripts on the line somewhere. But they don't like there's a they've been published in a book, but you can't just find them like freely online. So it's like, man, so if I want to find out like, you know, whether or not these kids like shit in Oscar's mouth or something, I have to like buy the book. Like, what the fuck is that? You know, um, knowledge who, wants to be free. Who's publishing this book? I don't remember. Like, I'm sure, I'm sure I'm sure you can look it up. Yeah, bastards. Uh, but man. that was that was the other thing that kind of irritated me about uh, this movie is that, you know, I was presented with Jonathan King's point of view, but I really wasn't able to find out much about the trials themselves. You know, again, like there are a lot of, uh, you know, British press stories about, well, the victim said this and the victim said that, but, you know, and not even just in light of his whole thesis of this movie is I don't want to necessarily rely on like the news stories to tell me about like what went down at the trial. You know, I kind of want to see the evidence for myself, but like there's no, there's no easy way to get it. So, you know, you're kind of just left with like his point of view. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's true because he does make some pretty, um, startling accusations in this. The, uh, I mean, not about the British, tabloids because we all know what they do we all we've all read about princess diana and fergie and all that so yeah none of that is surprising but a lot of the things he says about how the actual trial was run where basically he's claiming that the prosecution would literally just make shit up and the judge would be like yeah that sounds good yeah and that's the kind of thing where i was like i would really like to read some legal documents to see like exactly how this went down but you know you can't really get that stuff I'm not. I'm not yeah. a UK citizen, so I wouldn't even know where to begin. Yeah, um, a lot of that is probably um, depending on well, how high high the court was that he was in. I mean, like what level they were. That stuff might not even be online or even available to the public. So. Yeah, and oh, and that that was another thing. That was one example of that kind of thing where apparently at one point uh, there was a discrepancy. In the age of some, in the ages of some of the accusers, where they had said this particular act had taken place in during this year, but he, but he claims that that didn't line up with the age of the accuser. Like if it had happened, like they said, you know, this person would have been like older, or you know, he would have been out of the country at the time. So apparently, the prosecution just like moved the dates to yeah, make them. Who- to make them line up and then you can just do that again. It's like, and that's the other thing is like, I hate, I hate defending, um, you know, the, the police and like (laughs) the courts who have been known to do like quite terrible things to people under the, the umbrella of quote unquote justice. But I'm like, I like, how can you do that? Like, how is that a thing? Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I think part of, um, my, part of my skepticism here is, um, and, and maybe you share this, is, yeah, I, I would not be surprised to hear that courts and judges do that sort of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you know, it's not something that I would just take on on faith, especially not from Jonathan King. And <laughs> especially in this circumstance, it seems a little iffy because it's like you're saying that the courts and the courts of the police decided, hmm, a rich and powerful music mogul. Yes. He is the one we're going to take down. It's like, usually when courts do that sort of shit, they do it against people who have no power or recourse, who are not going to be able to, you know, you know, make yeah, a fuss when it happens. Because that's one, that's another thing that he points out is that, you know, I hope, I, I think he says basically at one point, you know, I hope maybe this movie has made you thought about some of the people who have been through the court system and don't have like the resources, you know, to fight for themselves, which again, yeah is like, hey, he's not wrong. Like, there's a point where he attacks, he really viciously attacks Bob Geldof and um, Live Aid. And again, it's like, well, eh, not wrong.
song. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting mix because yeah, like again, there's some some there's some things in this that I was kind of like, yeah, you know, he's got some good points. Um, you know, when he's going on about like, especially the you know the homophobia, because I was like, yeah, you got a point. Why the why are they going after you and not like I don't know. Led Zeppelin with their sex slave and all that, so... Uh, well, yeah, and that was, that was another thing which was, like, on my mind uh, as I was watching it was um, the story... I mean, and the story's always been out there, like, you know, like, since it happened, but um, the story's about the groupie Laurie Maddox, who uh, had a dalliance with David Bowie, I think, when she was, like, 14 or 15, and when Bowie passed away, like, that came out again, and then there was a lot of, uh, fighting on the internet, but, like, how dare you bring this up, and, you yeah. know, like, uh, so, and I don't know, like, apparently, uh, Lori's just happy with the fact that she got to fuck David Bowie, regardless of the age at which she did it, you know, and I'm glad that she's not traumatized or whatever, but, you know, and I love David Bowie, but, you know, people did shady shit back then. It doesn't, yeah. you know, it doesn't mean that it wasn't shady. But, um, you know, the better example was what happened with Laurie Maddox and Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin, where he saw her one day and um, sent one of his roadies to basically kidnap her. Yeah. I think the words that were said to her was, was uh, look, you're gonna, he's going to have you whether you like it or not. And then um, she was shacked up with Jimmy Page for, like, I think, like, at least a year. And, you know, they kept it under the rug because she was fucking underage you know yeah so yeah. and the way that she's presented is like hey like you know like it was very romantic like being like swept away by this rock god and it's like i i guess that's putting a positive spin on it and good for you but it doesn't make it not creepy <laughs> yeah yeah and again like all those stories make just makes you wonder yeah why why is jonathan king's story the one why is he the one where they felt the need, you know, justice must be served in this one case, you know. And, yeah, I hate to defend the guy, but, you know, well, it makes you think. Jimmy Page probably has a lot more money than Jonathan King. That's that's true. <laughs> uh, there you go. See, that's the – you can't trust the system. No, you um, can't. So um, even yeah. though – okay, so so I, I think I've, I've said a few, lot of things here kind of defending uh, Jonathan King and being like, yeah, maybe he's got some points. There are a few things in this movie that, real besides Harold Shipman and that sort of thing, that, that kind of made me think, you know, maybe maybe you're kind of hurting your own case here. And one of them, I think, is is his portrayal of his own accusers, because um, he portrays the the people like the 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 got people who he had sex with when they were like you know 15 as like weird like pathetic husks now. Who are just like you know trying to get his money, and uh, like the one when he plays that one character who accuses him, he's got like like boils on his face and shit. Yeah, he's got this really nasty like, just gross like nest of pimples like right next to his nose. Yeah, it's like and it's like it's like that kind of thing infects the whole movie. Like there are two characters, you know, not just one. There's like I think there's a judge and a cop who both have the surname Little Dick. Oh yeah. Probably. I get it. Now, now, Bill, I'm guessing that the actual judge and lawyers involved in the case didn't act, weren't actually named Little Dick. He's not using some creative liberties here. Um, <laughs> I, I think, um, yeah. I did like, though, when he's, he's telling the story of how he got fan mail when he was in prison. He, got, he gets the one letter from a, a woman who says that everyone who's against him will die. And, and then you know what? They did. Yeah, he's like he's he's really he's um cuz I guess the PR person that he really doesn't like who plays in this as a character named Waxy Maxi. Yes, um, the guy's actual name I believe is uh, Max Clifford. Oh, okay. Well, I guess that kind so, of So, you have to admit that's a pretty funny pun. I guess. Is it is it a pun? No, it's just a really, it's a really stupid name and a really stupid movie, yeah. but it, finish it what you were saying. Yeah, it rhymes, <laughs> I guess. Um, but apparently, wa like, Waxy Maxi's wife died, and uh, according to the, the letter to Jonathan King, this is like cosmic justice, and Jonathan King seemed pretty okay with that. Um, well, but the thing is, is that um, the woman said, oh, like, you know, bad things are, terrible things are going to happen to the people who wronged you. So, Waxy Maxi 
supposedly, like, his wife died, right? And then he immediately shacked up with, like, a younger woman. So, he seemed to have come out okay. Like, that's that karma's a little weird, if you ask me. Maybe she did... Maybe maybe she ran over a dog or something. I don't know. Also, there he says some other things which, like, reek of bullshit. Like, there's literally a moment where, um... He talks about, like, oh, like, you know, prison was, was really great. And, like, like, cause, and it doesn't make any sense because you can't be like, oh, like, this monstrous, horrible sentence that they laid down. Again, they gave him seven years. He served three and a half. Yeah. So, boo hoo. You know, I guess because, like, some uh, perpetrators get off without serving a day or, like, never actually go to court. You know, he must, that must be very sad to him. But, um, he claims to have made a lot of friends in prison. Um, his heart was touched by their circumstances. A lot of them could not read or write. Um, but he claims that there was one point where the entire cell block applauded for him. That sounds like something... That sounds like a Tumblr post. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, like, I, I totally told this guy off. And, like, they threw him off the bus, and then the whole bus applauded, and they gave me a free meal at the <laughs> best restaurant in the city, and the mayor gave me the key to the city. <laughs> and the president called up and says, we need you in Washington right now. Yeah. Are you bad uh, enough dude to rescue the president? <laughs> yeah, Jonathan King enjoyed, yeah, the way he describes prison, it sounds like that Richard Speck interview. Oh, God. Yeah, he was wearing blue panties in jail just having a high old time. <laughs> I think uh, what I do, did like on his description of jail is where he mentions how there's an undercurrent of anger in prison. And I was kind of like, yeah, no shit, Sherlock. Did that surprise you? But he, he says this like it's a revelation. And he also mentions how, did you know that prisoners are not even allowed to wear the, the jerseys supporting their favorite football teams because it might start a riot? And I thought that was interesting because, A, uh, I heard that and I was like, yeah, who gives a shit? I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I, mean, I know that you, a lot of your civil rights are violated in prison. And that's bad, but I'm I'm kind of okay with them not ha getting to wear footy shirts. I don't really care. And Mike, secondly, I can't believe you would be so callous about Arsenal and Leeds supporters. You know, I'm, what, what what is that? Is that that's fate? What, what is that? Like some sort of some sort of commie sport? Um, but also, I, I'd like to point out when he, when he said that, I was kind of like, he's like, they're not even allowed to wear their favorite shirts. Like. Don't they get uniforms in prison? Isn't that the point? That's, Don't you that's have to wear the prison uniform? Yeah, I and you know, the thing is is that if, if it got out in the British press that uh, inmates were allowed to wear their footy shirts, like, <laughs> surely there would be a very great hue and cry in those same uh, red-top tabloids. Yeah, they'd be like, what a scorcher! Yeah, so it's just gotcha. kind of the mon it's the monster that eats itself, basically. But, and here's one, here's one reason why I know he was completely as they say across the pond, talking bollocks about his prison experience. Because uh, I read up on him a little bit. And apparently, you know, because he was charged with crimes against underage youth, he was isolated from the majority of the prison population because that's usually what they do with that type of sex offender. So mm. I don't know who the fuck was applauding for him en masse while he was in jail. Maybe it was all in his own head. Because the, the thing is, that as you read about this guy... Um, he really comes across as, I know, and I know this is going to be hard to believe, but he does come across as a rather shameless self-promoter. I know, that may shock you. Oh. But, and you know, credit where it's due, if you want to succeed in an entertainment industry, like you, if you really want to succeed, you kind of have to be that kind of person. You have to talk yourself up all the time, and, you know, I guess, like, fucking underage kids is, is optional, but. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Par for the course. <laughs> but yeah, he's full of shit. <laughs> yeah. So, oh so yeah, and then there was another thing where he said like somebody somebody in the cell block compared him to Noel Coward, and I was like, the fuck they did. <laughs> Fucking liar. Like, <laughs> oh yes, the oh, my fellow inmates thought me rather akin to Benjamin Disraeli. Like, <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> Lord Palmerston. Um, yeah. It, so so it sounds like this. Yeah. Again, he might be an unreliable narrator in this in this movie. Yeah, slightly. <laughs> Grain of salt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I really. Well, I also this is a little unrelated, 
but it was kind of kind of bugging me in a way because uh towards the end of the movie there's there's a, a song called the celestial millennial talent show right which again like almost every other song in the movie is is incredibly catchy and i would compare it to uh christmas time in heaven from monty python's meaning of life it's got a very oh, yeah. similar vibe yeah you know, it feels, it's very similar i think and uh, the tune is almost kind of the same similar too in ways but you know i listen to it yeah it's, it's a pretty catchy song afterwards god appears because as you remember god is a narrator yes and god says i that was a great show that celestial millennial talent show because the concept of the song is that all the great artists from history are competing to see who has the best art uh and he says i can't wait for the literary version when both the bible and the quran lose to an agatha christie novel and when i when i heard that i was like okay i mean i get the joke but i was, I was thinking like wait a second God, are you? How do you know the results of the competition? Is this competition rigged? And then I realized, oh, of course, he's God. He's omnipotent. He knows the results before they happen. And then, then it just, it, I'm like, then I, I kind of got like in this weird state where I was like, can, can you actually have a contest then in heaven? Because the results will always be predetermined. Because God can't not know what's going to happen. Makes you think. Did, did you watch this late at night or something? Because that's the kind of thought experiment that one has when they're sleep deprived. And then afterwards, I looked at my hand and I was like, "Whoa, man! You ever look at that? You ever look at your hand? <laughs> like, really?" <laughs> well, this did happen after listening to that song like 15 times in a row. So I think I was in a kind of like trance-induced trance-fugue state. You lo- you love this guy, Mike. You should write him a letter. Maybe I would. Maybe I will. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. He's- <laughs> Dear Mr. King, I want you to know that I think you are great, like no coward. Also, all your enemies will die. <laughs> but don't Mike. forget, don't forget to write it on on parchment with a quill. Oh, that's right. <laughs> For some <laughs> reason, I pictured Stevie Nicks writing this letter. I don't know why. That would that, that she's a sword who would. <laughs> well, when you think about it, who are the only people who write on quills? It's either going to be Stevie Nicks or the cast of Harry Potter. Maybe it was one of the founding fathers. <laughs> oh my god, it was Alexander Hamilton. Well, you know what? He's probably right now. Like, dear, dear Jonathan King, I too know what it's like to be slandered for fucking underage, you know, people. I often fucked my slaves. Oh, wait, Alexander, not Alexander Hamilton. Which he's uh, that Thomas was Jefferson. Jefferson. Well, they probably did it, right? <laughs> Whatever. I can slander them. They're dead. It doesn't matter. They're not gonna. They're they're not gonna make. They're not going to make a YouTube musical retorted, I say. You know what part I really liked? What? Was the song that he sang about uh, how much he hates McDonald's. Oh, yeah, that was kind of... I'm really confused by that one. And it was really funny because then it, it turned into, like, uh, one of those, like, crazy atheist videos you find on YouTube. <laughs> oh, yeah. Where he's just like, I hate religion. But it also has great lyrics like... I hate McDonald's. Burger King is the same. The only thing I like about them is their second name. Yeah, what does that mean? I think because he only likes Burger King because it has the word king in it and his surname is king. Okay, I get it now. Well, like that was that was that was too uh, that was too deep for (laughs) even for you, Mike. Uh, This this guy's got layers. I'm I I guess I'm wrong to mock him as a lyricist because you know apparently his shit is a. pretty hard to grasp it's wesley wills uh level there you know yeah see this is this is why you like this stuff yeah <laughs> rock and roll mcdonald's because it's like it is it is complete in spite of the fact that he's been an industry fixture for many years it's still like outsider art yeah well, like you know, let me let me tell you okay so the guy has been producing records since the 60s but he doesn't know how to properly record audio for his movie like jesus christ the sound mix in this was tragic like half of the let's talk about the filmmaking a little bit like half of the audio in this like the the dialogue was like impossible to parse and then you would turn it up and then another one is fucking pop songs would come along and that would be mixed real loud you know because he wants to make sure that you notice those well you know he, he probably when he's in the industry he just had other people do that for him 
Maybe, I don't know. He, he just, like, he, he comes in, you know, with, with an underage kid hanging hanging off his dick, and is all like, hey, um, mix, mix me a pop song. And they're like, right away, Mr. King. And he's like, all right, I'm going to go back to my opium den. I'm going to go back to giving this uh, law student a hand job. There's yeah. no way this will bite me in the ass in 40 years. Yes, yeah, in, the, so. in the fine tradition of uh, Dr. Luke... And Lou Pearlman. <laughs> Jonathan King. So, truly a, a hero for the modern age. Uh, uh, so it was interesting, apparently, Simon Cowell, like, put up his bail money when he was in prison, when he was uh, on trial or something. Yeah, and if, you know, if you didn't already love Simon Cowell. <laughs> I did find it interesting. He doesn't name Simon Cowell in it. He just, he mentions, like, some famous guy with like reality tv shows but he doesn't actually drop the name which is odd considering he seems to be such a name dropper i wonder if simon cow is like yeah don't don't mention me don't, don't say the name <laughs> but he does put a picture of him um in one of his oh, yeah. montages that's the other thing and I, I i really love this because you start watching it and you're like he cannot possibly have the rights to any of this no, you know, it's just like it's just stuff from like you know Google image search, and then he uses um, what appears to be some of his own archives, um, you know, because he was a television presenter. Like he, for whatever reason, he keeps cutting back to the show that he did on Rio, which has oh, yeah. no fucking bearing on anything that's going on the screen. It's just like this heads-up interview with the guy talking, like he talks about crime in the favelas. Yeah, you know, and stuff like that. And you're like, okay, like that's interesting, but I'm not watching a fucking movie on Rio. I'm watching Vile Pervert, you know. Yeah. But um, you know, and then at the end, uh, there's a credit which is something like, oh, thank you to YouTube and Google for many of the images used in this movie. And I'm like, that's that's not how copyright works. No, no. Uh, you kind of expect to see like a, a big watermark, like DeviantArt, do not steal on a lot of the images in this movie. There was literally watermark on one of the images like it was like a stock oh. photo site watermark oh really i missed that that's hilarious as knowledgeable as he is about the music world that he's been a part of for so long i i guess he didn't make any friends in like the film industry apparently not he, he knows jack shit about making a movie yeah well especially considering that like um that little animated segment for the silver stoat oh, he didn't do that himself he actually there's a credit for it so someone made that for him and that's funny because literally if you go to like deviantart and look up animator you can find like you know 15 year old kids who can do fucking amazing things in flash and uh maybe he's got a restraining order and he can't contact 15 year old kids now i don't know but the point <laughs> is it's not hard to find someone who can actually do like like professional level animation for peanuts because yeah, just, I, you know, I can't believe that uh, somebody was actually willing to take credit for that. Because um, crude just isn't descriptive enough. No, um, like I, it looks like it was anim It was somehow animated in MS Paint. Yeah, I, maybe it's almost like it was. It's it's so crude that you almost feel like it's like kind of like Tim and Eric level hipster ironic bullshit, like purposely <laughs> bad. Um, you know, we live in a post-irony society, so maybe it actually is like, you know, people do that thing now where they put fake you know, VHS artifacts and fake, like, um, you know, compression fuzz on shit. So, yeah. I don't know. But I think it was a little too too convincing to be a, a fake bad thing. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a, just a touch too earnest to be uh, ironically yeah. bad. I do like actually some of the lyrics, and and again, I, I I know we're kind of making fun of his. Maybe lyrics aren't a strong so, suit. I mean, tune. He's he's definitely got tunes and melodies down. But yeah. uh, in the Silver Stoat, when he's like, look at him, his his um his paws are stained pink with blood and tears, and they have the animation of like him pouring like little like like a laboratory beakers like Erlenmeyer flasks labeled blood and tears on his paws, and it's like well. First of all, um, <laughs> yeah. And secondly, um, I, I don't believe blood and water. Water is not white, and blood is not red. In the, like, they don't mix like paint to create pink. That's not <laughs> how it works. Also, why would one have a vial of blood and a vial of tears? Yeah, that that's another uh, an, another question this video raises. Uh, <laughs> And then the world is covered in, like, a, ye a yellow ichor while Mr. Spock talks at us. 
Don't forget all the sequences of the Silver Stoat uh, humping various people. Oh yeah, the Silver Stoat like humps a whole bunch of people in this video. There's more fake humping than there is in Forbidden Zone. <laughs> uh, I love the Sil I do like how the Silver Stoat is very clearly like kind of a, a, a shitty taxidermy stoat with the, you, know, you can see the lips all flared and everything. And they just kind of cut it out and have it superimposed on a little cartoon man that's supposed to be fucking. It's uh, some very fine uh, design work. You know, you you may not believe it, they call him the silver stoat. He's more of a snake than a goat. And I don't know why you would think he'd be a goat at all. So Other he... He knows Jonathan King knows as little about uh, animal taxonomy that he does than he does about uh, filmmaking. Yeah, he understands rhymes. He he seems to get that. I don't think he's mastered the part of songwriting where where rhymes have to make sense. Yeah, like he's like uh, he he's more just playing one of those rhyming like he's just doing the banana fana song really. I think I also point. I forgot to point out that, like, you know, the suppose he he claims that he received like thousands of letters in prison, like mostly positive, which is a total like, because you know how online the joke is. Oh, the lurkers support me in email. Yeah, silent majority. Yeah, exactly. Um, even no, everybody's because remember he when he's leaving the courtroom, the cops are all like, "Jonathan King, we feel you. We want, we don't want to, we don't want to railroad you, but they're making us do it." Oh, it's so yeah, terrible. like he 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 claims that he was walking out of the police station, and there were a couple of bobbies there, you know, on on a break having a fag, <laughs> and they one of them says to him, "Oh, we hate what's being done to you, J.K." <laughs> They and mistook like... him for J.K. Rowling. <laughs> they were like, yeah, no, it's really, really, really awful. We're really, we're big fans of big fans of uh, of of uh, of um the the police in in your book. Ah, uh, fuck it, I can't can't think. Well, of Well, one of them was uh, you know, one of the Bobby said, "Oh, I'm a Slytherin, and my friend here was sorted in a Hufflepuff." <laughs> 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 the cops have a giant like bobby hat that tells them which which precinct they're they're go to that's that's, uh, that's what i'm that's what i'm picturing in my head yeah. this the, like the, the sorting <laughs> helmet this is when they no when they all when they all come into the uh the grand hall the sorting helmet just comes out like they like dumbledore brings out the sorting helmet the sorting helmet just goes what's all this here now <laughs> what yeah. none of this? what's all this then <laughs> We clearly have a deep understanding of uh, the culture of the United Kingdom. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Do you think that his um? Do you think that his pop discoveries were like super thrilled to be in this movie? Well, they probably would have preferred to have been discovered by him when he was at the peak peak of his power, <laughs> rather than this weird. But before he had turned into basically, you know weird internet crank <laughs> making making films on par with sovereign citizens and uh, <laughs> gang stalking vic victims um but uh i guess any any shot at fame however yeah. slim is is worth it yeah i mean they're, they're probably just happy to get getting work you know but you know the guy spends a lot of time um decrying fame seekers Basically, you know, impl implying that his accusers were after notoriety and money. Yes. You know, and leaving aside the fact that accusing people of rape is a really shitty way to make money, and an even shittier way to accrue um, positive attention, <laughs> let's say, um, this guy spent his entire career chasing fame and money. Well, it's different when he does it. Apparently. <laughs> because, I mean... you see, he didn't falsely accuse anyone of rape. He only did the raping, <laughs> which is a much lesser crime. You know, when, you know, it's honestly, it's something that's expected from uh, music business people. So Yeah. I mean, if, if, if I went to um, audition for, like, a musical gig and I didn't get raped, I, I would feel that I had not act. I would be like, oh, I guess that wasn't a real thing. <laughs> You're I mean, terrible, I guess, Muriel. Like, wasn't he probably a real record producer? <laughs> My understanding of the record industry comes from Joe's Garage. 
Yeah, but um, uh, so yeah, so again, you know, this is not. I don't think Jonathan King possibly has the most uh, clear perspective on himself. He's not. He's not exactly an introspective sort. Um, and you know, it's this this whole. So actually, here's a question for you. Yeah. If you had to sort this movie into genre, what what would you classify it as? Oh. You stumped me, Mike. I don't know. I, he claims at the beginning that it's a quote-unquote documentary, um, while also making the caveat that any resemblance to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Um, <laughs> I guess I guess there are elements of documentary in it. It's almost almost more of a kind of personal essay musical. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It's but I feel like um, you know maybe the culture hasn't caught up to the technology yet because you know there are a lot of videos like this on youtube which are you know just kind of fall into the category of screed yeah i mean like would you really call something like loose change a documentary i mm. mean it it apes that form but when it comes to the veracity of it (laughs) it's somewhat suspect yeah it's it's very in it feels very similar to something like Ben Stein's No Intelligence Allowed, in the oh, sense Christ. that it's you know purports to be documentary, but it's really one guy's um, very crappy personal opinion. viewpoint. <laughs> yeah, very crappy opinion. Um, you know, uh, so this movie because he did say it's sort of you know intended as documentary, but it's also um, he says no no person living or you know no resemblance to real people in this movie. So it's obviously there's a lot of things in it that are clearly fictionalized, like when he's pretending to be the judge or the Bobby, and he's saying what's going through their heads because he doesn't know what really went through the judge's head. He he's making assumptions because he says when he's the judge, like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw the book at Jonathan King because I don't want to be called a loony lefty in the tabloids. And it's like, well, you know, you, the, you don't know that the judge actually thought that. You're just making that up. That's your interpretation. So since a lot of it is you know, and, and as an audience member, yeah, I know, I think we all know and that that's his interpretation. That's not something that he has, you know, that's not actually from, that's not reality. And he knows that we know that. So yeah. even though there are some things where there are parts of it where the line between what's fact and fiction is a lot less clear cut. But since it kind of mixes it, um, would this be like Gonzo? Would this be considered like kind of a Gonzo film? <laughs> Hunter S. Thompson just heaved in his grave. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like, you know, like, well, let's take the scenario as if for some reason, let's say that you were working at Cinephile Video, and for whatever reason you had a a DVD-R of this, and you had to put it somewhere. Like, where would you put it? Um, Like, I would be tempted to write on it something like, a musical docu-comedy, but that wouldn't quite be right. Um, I don't know, maybe, like, they must have, like, a gonzo section, because I know they have, like, you know, um, scare films from the 50s, and, you know, like, uh, when I rented the Johnsons from there, it was under Eurotrash. Yeah. Is there just, like, a garbage section? (laughs) There should be. Like, just weird, a weird internet shit section? (laughs) I'll call them up and ask. (laughs) The do not rent section. Yeah. Yeah, like if you if you if you had rented this, you would feel ripped off. Yeah, because <laughs> like honestly, like um, you know, it's it's not really paced that well. It's it's it really fits into YouTube because it is paced a lot like an excruciatingly detailed YouTube tutorial. Mm. Like yeah, there isn't a very good ebb and flow. Like the songs are just kind of like shoved in between the the rants. Yeah. Um, a lot of the songs don't really fit what's be what has just been said uh they don't slot in thematically to the movie it's just like hey like i discovered this girl or like i discovered this rapper like you know check out their music you know um it's not shot very well god knows um yeah the opening looks like it was shot on a phone well probably was yeah like whose field was he like flashing people in (laughs) that's probably a public park He's, he was at a high corner, because you could do that there. <laughs> I'm oh, sorry, not, not high corner. It's, um, 
Speaker's no, Corner right. in Hyde yeah. Park. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. You're right. Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park. I don't think I don't think you could take your dick out at Speaker's Corner though. I'm sure that I'm sure that he would find a way to rail against that. Like, yeah. oh man, like I got arrested for taking my dick out at Speaker's Corner. Like, can you believe the British judicial system? <laughs> no justice, no peace. <laughs> Anyway, do we have anything left to say about Vile Pervert, the musical? Um, I, okay. I honestly, um, <laughs> I, I'm going to say it. I, Mike's, I a, recommend Mike's it. a sick fuck, so he enjoyed it. I'm going to recommend this movie, if for nothing else, the music. Because the music is genuinely enjoyable. Um, the rest of it is kind of train wrecky, but fascinating in its own way. Um, it's, it's not good. <laughs> but it's also I don't know. I mean, like you said, he's he's uh he's it's fascinating cuz he got a broken clock thing going on, so he makes some really good points and then he shoots himself in the foot. Um so I, I really don't know how to feel about it at, at the end of the day. Yeah, it is kind of amazing in that way that you're um like the way that you watch it when you watch a lot of like schlock or outsider cinema where you're like, "Oh my god, I can't believe this guy has the balls to do this." Yeah. You know, like, he, he, he does not lack spine. <laughs> yeah. Let's put it that way. And, you know, I mean, I, even though, for all its faults, I mean, I am impressed that one guy made all this by himself. Um, and it shows. The, yeah, I mean, you know, he's, it's, it's better than the movies I've shot by myself. But then again, when <laughs> oh, I shot well. movies by myself, I was of the age that Jonathan King would want to fuck me. <laughs> You never know, he could have discovered you. Oh, oh, if only. Mm -hmm.